Good Tuesday, everyone. Welcome to the VolQuest.com podcast with Jesse Simonton, Austin Price, and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubbs. Glad to have you along with us. We're going to talk about the Tennessee basketball team, their big win over the weekend, now ranked uh, in the AP poll. Talk a little recruiting and certainly talk about Tennessee and Missouri. The Vols coming off an open date. Tennessee, according to Jeremy Pruitt, the healthiest that they have been in a while. Missouri, on the other hand, just struggling. I, Jesse, I know Jeremy Pruitt made it sound like Missouri was really good. Pulled off the Lou Holtz. He pulled a little Lou Holtz on it, but it's hard to it's hard to put the lipstick on that, so to speak, because they they're just having a hard time offensively. Their offensive numbers are something that you don't see a lot of in, in Power Five college football, particularly in the SEC. Thirteen points in the last three games. You know that that in the event that and that doesn't obviously include they got shut out uh, in one of those games against Georgia. Um, and then before that, their biggest explosion was two touchdowns, you know, against Vanderbilt to a Vanderbilt team that's an abomination this season. So they're really struggling. Kelly Bryant been injured. He's back. They can only get six points uh, against Florida this past weekend watching that game. I mean, you know, Jeremy also kind of talked about that, that what Missouri's doing with Kelly is a little bit different than what Clemson did. He didn't really go into detail. But when you watch Missouri, they clearly are, are running him a lot. Um, and that's been an issue with his hamstring. Uh, but, I mean, they, they just – they have some weapons. I mean, they don't have – their receivers have zero touchdowns this year, which is kind of a crazy stat. In the SEC In the play. SEC play. Their which wide is, receivers have, which not, is crazy. have not caught a single touchdown. They do have a one – their tight end's an NFL tight end. We know that uh, little Roundtree has given Tennessee problems in the past, which, is, which was another, you know, area that Pruitt brought up, the fact that – you know, this Tennessee historically has struggled against the Tigers. But I was surprised. I mean, I tweeted it out. I was surprised that when the line came out that Tennessee was almost a touchdown, in some places a touchdown underdog. And that line's already been hammered down, you know, to five uh, and even lower than that in some places. And that seems about right. Because Missouri does, despite their many issues on offense, Rob, they do have a good defense, top ten, in the, you know, in the country in terms of just total defense, 14th overall in yards per play. I mean, Tennessee's going to have to really find some ways to generate uh, chunk plays because Missouri's not going to let you just march it down the field. Yeah, and if you just, I mean, if you just look at the conference numbers and don't even take into account you know, what they did against you know, non-league opponents, they're, they're pretty good. They're fourth in the SEC in, in, in rush defense, and, and they've played some, you know, they've played Georgia, they've played Florida. They've played some good teams that way. Um, they're stingy. And, you know, I, I think Tennessee would be challenged to move the football on them. But, man, I mean, I, I guess it's, I, I expect a very low-scoring game because both offenses are anemic. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee's – the question is what's Tennessee going to find offensively? You know, they're the healthiest they have been, Austin, according to Jeremy Pruitt. What does that mean for them offensively, particularly in the line of scrimmage? Does that mean they're going to be back to running the football with some effectiveness? Because you go back – they ran the football well against Mississippi State, I think 190 yards in that game, but their numbers have gone to, down. You know, gone as, the as opposite gotten, way. As they've gotten beat up. Yeah, they have. During so. that recent run before the bye week. I, you know, I, I do think that Tennessee will try to run the football more. Um, you know, I'll be interested to see if they start a quarterback, but at the end of the day, like, if, no matter who you start, much like, you know, two weeks ago, if the offensive line isn't healthy, and or you, you you're in effect of trying to run the football and those kind of work hand in hand then you know it's going to make things a lot harder to navigate offensively against what is a solid defense in Missouri so um, I do think if, if Darnell Wright is healthy and I do believe that he is I believe that he will be hundred percent ready to go um, coming up on Saturday uh, night and you know if 
if that's the case, then I think Tennessee's chances to run um, the football across the board will be far greater. And I think Jameer Johnson is, is a touch healthier than he was at Kentucky. I think what concerns me about that is that Calvert was maybe Tennessee's best offensive lineman against Kentucky and they didn't get anything done. I, mean, I, don't, what I'm, I don't think that just Darnell being out is why they, they struggled so much to run the football. I don't disagree with that. I think the other thing, too, that, that's interesting, I do think having Darnell back helps helps them. Um, and I think having all those guys across the front healthier helps them. But I wonder a little bit, Jesse, where's Jim Chaney's confidence in even calling running plays? They didn't run it effectively against Kentucky, but they also didn't try to run it extensively against Kentucky either. I mean, it's almost like he's calling fewer runs the last couple of weeks, but not, not against UAB. I mean, he tried to be pretty hard-headed there, but against Kentucky, they didn't even much try to run it against the team that's given up, you know, 175 yards a game on the ground. Yeah, and when you look at Missouri, I mean, they got run all over by Kentucky and then Mississippi, but both of those were Bowden playing quarter, you know, running quarterback, and then Plumlee running around. What news flash? Plumlee's pretty good running yeah. around with the ball in his hand. But <laughs> he is really good. I mean, as LSU can attest, as LSU and Alabama both. 400 yards of offense this past week. Before it only had 50 something yards rushing on Saturday. I mean, they, and and they, they could not do it, so they found success, which would not surprise Tennessee fans, you know, and, and we know Jim Cheney likes to throw the ball around. I think Tennessee, you know, if they're going to – the probably early game plan is probably to, you know, go more spread, wide formations, and, and kind of try to attack a Missouri secondary that uh, had been pretty good, but this past weekend they gave up more than 250 yards for the first time all season. Trask threw for 330 against them, and that's how Florida did all their damage. Yeah, that – I thought Florida did a nice job with with taking the running back and motioning him, and they got P. Ryan matched up against a linebacker out wide a couple of times, created some – they did some – I mean, Dan Mullen's been known to do good things schematically. I thought they schemed Missouri a couple of times for some big plays, for some explosive plays, which was a big part of that game. It's going to be um, – what is Jim Chaney's offense? What, what's his plan look like? Uh, and, and who's his quarterback. If, if you're making a decision on the quarterback, Jeremy Pruitt's saying, I'm going to practice all three, going to narrow it down to two. What, what are you going to do there? Uh, this is my theory, or actually this is my hope, that, you know, your thought, Derek Dooley has already lost to the Kentucky, <laughs> two Kentucky teams that started receivers at quarterback. Why not start Jawan and make it three total that Derrick Dooley teams have lost to starting quarterbacks? I, I, again, I, I said this a week ago. I, I, I mean it. If you're wanting to continue the whole mojo thing of him coming off the bench, you roll out there Jawan and the Wildcat the first play, and then you go to JG. I think he's earned the right. He, for every reason that he lost, lost it, he's earned it back. And so, in my opinion, he's the guy you should roll with on Saturday. Jesse asked Jeremy the question on Monday about you know him – you know, having a, a, a smaller apparatus on his hand. Uh, I would venture to say that it will be smaller. Um, I don't know that to be a fact, but I do know that he said that a couple weeks ago when I asked him about it, you know, the, the plan was for it to get smaller as he got healthier. Well, we're now how many days past removed of the Kentucky game, and he's not really done anything in over a week. One would think that he would be, you know, starting to see some of the, 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 the girth of that you know, thing on his hand come off. Yeah, he's going to be, by the time you get to Saturday, he's going to be four weeks removed from the injury is, is where he's going to be. Do you start, Jared? I mean, I'm, I mean, I know, I get what AP's saying about, you know, the mojo thing, you don't want to break it, but he plays 
you know, the, the vast majority of the snaps. Oh, if it's I mean, me, I'd I mean, it's start his game. Him. Yeah, I, I would just start. Him. I'm just saying, if you're wanting to continue me, that whole game. deal, right? So you're you're saying he's the quarterback of record, whether That's he gets the first series or he comes in on the third series or the second series. You, you believe he'll be the quarterback? He's the of guy record. I'm building my game plan around this week. I do not believe they're going to do that as we sit here on Tuesday morning. I believe he's going to play the lion's share of reps. I still think they're going to start Brian Maurer. I, I, I kind of lean with you. I think. I just think. I just think Jeremy has, and the he has he has been very guarded with his comments about this, about uh, the quarterbacks throughout the season. But I think something that he said maybe a week or two ago that has probably been the most illuminating of any of them was that he doesn't think the other guys, meaning Shroud and Maurer, and we believe Maurer has the has the leg up on Shroud, that they are, would be as comfortable. Come going up. into the game as the number two guy versus Jarrett. Now, do you now if Jarrett struggles, do you do you go back to Mauer? I don't know, but I think I, I think you get they're gonna Mauer's gonna get a series or two, and then Jarrett's gonna play a lot, and then maybe Mauer goes back in for one, and then Jarrett finishes the game. I just think that's I don't know if it's a you know they can call it Mojo or whatever. I would if I was the coach, I would just let Jarrett Garantano play the rest the whole game. But I just, right now, as we sit here on Tuesday, I, I think Maurer's going to start and J.G. plays the most snaps. Yeah. I, at this point, you're not surprising Missouri by whoever you announce as the starter if you announce somebody now. So, I mean, if it's Jared, why not just say it's going to be Jared? Because they know who – I mean, they know who he is. They played against him. Barry Odom schemed against him for a, a couple of years now. So, I don't know if there's a big surprise there. I do wonder, though, with, with the freshman, if – and I don't think this is what Jeremy was implying when he said that you know they would not be as equipped to come in off the bench. I do wonder if you feel more comfortable playing a freshman early if you're Jim Cheney because you're scripting your first 15. It's a good so, point. So Thursday at practice, you're going to run through, hey, here's the first 10, 12, 15 calls we're going to make in the game. So you know everything that's coming. Whereas, Which is part of the reason they got mad at Mauer. Because he didn't follow the script. Because he didn't follow the script and wasn't throwing it to the right side of the field at Kentucky. Right, but but we know that Jim likes to script that out. Now it's not exact, but he scripts out his first, first you know, first first and tens, first second long, right. second shorts, all that. So the the players are going to know the quarterback knows what he's going to get called there. Um, and I wonder if there's a bit of a comfort level playing a freshman that way to get his feet wet, get him into the game, as opposed to him coming off the bench cold three series that's, in when everybody's making adjustments. Yeah, I think that's an astute. That's an astute point. All right, so let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. I thought it was interesting in your in your piece that you had over the weekend, Jesse. I knew Nigel Warrior had played well and had played better, um, and, and some of the PFF numbers sometimes can get a little bit. I think a little bit skew, skewed in some wonky. unusual way, in some unusual ways. But still, the the the, the notion, the stats you had on him, and, and what Nigel's been able to do uh, for Tennessee is really pretty incredible for a guy who. And I know I know Coach Pruitt said that you know he's improved as much as anybody over the 18 months. Rob, I think he's improved as much as anybody we've seen over five or six weeks. I mean, you go back to BYU, Georgia State. Even the Florida game, he was to me, he was not existing. He made it. I mean, we're, we're through like a wasn't there a play in each game? Where, I mean, and I don't want to throw a kid under the bus. We're, we're just Nigel taking a bad angle cost you, you know, maybe the BYU game and you know a, a touchdown against Georgia State. And now, I mean, it's it's remarkable. He came into this, came into the year with with one interception. He, he suddenly he suddenly you know, he turned into a, a ball hawking safety. He plays the run. He plays the pass. I mean, I'm I'm. 
could not be more impressed with, with the way he's raised his level of play. To, to your point, Hubs, I mean, I did that like with, with this second bye week piece. I also had the second number, you know, after each grade, kind of saying, all right, this is where they were plus minus compared to after the first bye week. Nigel had the most, the biggest jump of anyone on the team, to your point about how much he's been, not through just this, this season, but through four weeks to now, his grade jumped 20 points. Now, after the, four, after the first four games, he was considered a below-average player, and now he's considered almost elite and ranks as, through 10 weeks, the number one safety in the SEC. I mean, it's a pretty remarkable turnaround. So why? Why, is that, why does it happen? I mean, he said that, you know, it's about falling in love with the game again and, and all that. I think this sometimes, and, you know, Jeremy downplayed this, or, but, I mean, I've heard him talk about it specifically before. Just sometimes, you know, a, a kid makes, takes three or four years to really for things to click and understand and, and, and just the maturity level. Um, I think a lot of it, you know, it, there is a maturity level. Jesse, I mean, we watched him this, this summer. I mean, just how he interacted with – high school prospects that were on, you know, on campus at camps and how he kind of played that big brother mentor role and, 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 and talked to them about, you know, where he's been and where he's at now and that kind of thing. You know, I, I think all that plays into how you approach your own game. You know, if you're mature off the field, I think it helps you be more mature on the field. Um, that's, I think he's, that's the only I, thing I can think of. Well, I think he's clearly connected with Ansley. I think that addition has helped. There's no secret with that. I think uh, – and this isn't just particular to Nigel, because we've even talked about it with Jarrett. But in my opinion, there's plenty of guys that it's easy to kind of have confidence when some things go well. But it can be kind of almost faux confidence where you don't really have that bounce-back ability that when you make a mistake. I think, I think Nigel's legitimately playing with real confidence now. He, he knows where he's going to be. He's going to play fast, and he's going to put himself in the right position. And if he screws up, he's going to jump right back up and say, all right, I'm going to get back in the huddle. I'm going to make a play next time. And that wasn't there the first three years of the season. I think he kind of puffed his chest out like, hey, I'm Nigel Warrior at times. But internally, we know that there was some confidence issues, whether it was, you know, he had – he wanted to play more as a freshman and sophomore, but he and Stoops didn't get along, or Shoop didn't get along a lot. Last year, he made some big busts. I just think this year he's playing with a lot of confidence. But credit goes to Ansley, too, because his fundamentals have improved. This is a guy who had stone hands for three years, was not a guy that, you know, y'all, I mean, we've talked about it with, with Pruitt. I mean, this is not a guy that made a lot of plays in high school as, like, a quote-unquote ball hawk. And now he has more PBUs and interceptions this season than he had his first three years, like, combined. So, pretty, pretty – Pretty impressive for for a senior, and you use it all the time. I mean, you know, this is contract year too, so you got they, they see the kind of writing on the wall. You want this career to continue, or do you want this to be your last stop? And and he has certainly put himself in position to not only get drafted, but be a guy who who could potentially you know actually make an impact in the NFL, which I'm not sure we could say a year ago at all. No, I don't. I don't think I don't. I don't think you – I mean, I wouldn't have said that three weeks into this season. Yeah. I mean, you know, three weeks into the season, everybody's talking about, are you going to take him off the field? When are they going to make a change? When are you going to go with McCullough? When's the, when's the youth movement coming? You know, and now here's a guy who is, is Rob, just playing instinctive. Instincts that we haven't seen throughout his entire career. Yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, it's like he sees – it's like he's seeing the field for the first he's time. He's turning into the guy that every Vol fan hoped that he would be. You know, five years ago, when he was one of the you know crown jewels of the recruiting class, 
Yeah, he has. It's been it's been pretty impressive to watch. Jesse, what else, what else jumped out at you in the in the in the piece that you did this weekend and, and looking at it? Uh, we, we've talked about this a little bit. That you know, Schamberger has quietly been really good for the Vols. Uh, yeah. You know, they, there's all sorts of metrics that PFF has, and you can kind of calibrate it depending on the number of snaps. Because obviously, if a kid only plays 10 snaps, the the stuff can get really skewed. But for players in the SEC that have played at least, I think it's like 35% of their snaps in the slot, you know, Schamberger ranks number one in terms of least, uh, or I guess you would say least amount of receptions per snap where it takes the most snaps per reception. That's just big. When we talked about it before the season, that was a huge, you know, Bailey Buchanan's name got brought up again this week on Monday asking about his health. And I know Pruitt kind of lamented the fact that they they weren't going to have him to start the season. To me, that's been a big upgrade on why this defense has been a lot better. I, I know that Balin's trustworthy. He's a vet. But the star spot, I mean, I wrote about it during the offseason. The star spot, the nickel spot was such a sort. Tennessee was getting torched on the middle of the field all last year. Still some issues with the inside linebacker stuff. Part of that's Toto being a freshman. But Tui, that's just not his strength. But Schamberger's ability to kind of hold his own has, I think, really transformed the defense because in this Saban-Kirby Pruitt scheme, that spot is so important. What, whether it's blitzing off the edge or being able to really lock down now, what a lot of guys put one of their best two or three guys in the slot. I mean, Tennessee does it every week. That's where Juwan, I mean, Juwan's playing 70% of his snaps inside. Which goes back to the whole maturity thing. I mean, Schamberger's a guy that, you know, struggled with, you know, lived in a doghouse a year ago. And, I mean. and all of a sudden now is just clean and, and, and playing really good, solid football. And, I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, as you get older and you, you understand, you know, it's fleeting, you know. Even if you're going to play ten years in the league, it's fleeting. Well, and I think the other thing too is the and Rob, we've talked about this. You go everywhere the system's been put in place. Year two's better. Kirby had the advantage because the system was already in from a from a concept standpoint. He tweaked his own elements to it, but the overall concept of this defense was already instilled when he got there, which made the transition at Georgia. I think somewhat easier. But when you look at everywhere else it's being put in, when it's put in, it's year two when it really starts to take off because I think it takes that long to master it. Well, I, mean, I think with any system, you're going to be better, I mean, markedly better right. in year two, especially when you're talking about kids. I mean, I think AP, I mean, to AP's point about, you know, maturity, I mean, I, I don't think fans a lot of times appreciate, you know, that you're dealing with 19, 18, 19 year old kids. Or, I mean, I've got a 17 year old, you know, I'm sure he didn't make his bed this morning, you know. <laughs> I'm know? 36. I didn't make. But, I mean, you know, but I'm saying he was. He was told to. You know, he'll say I forgot. Well, I mean, you're, you're did you doing, did you make your bed this morning? I uh, I didn't have to. My wife. <laughs> <laughs> but no, to your point, you're right. I mean, there, there's. I mean, there's. You're still having to remind kids to. And, it, and it's not a job. They're going. You know, they're going to class. They've right. got. You know, social. You know, social stuff going on. I mean, it's to the, the and I the kind of focus. And work you have to put in to be really good and master this stuff is not something that comes naturally to most 19-year-old college students. Well, and you're exact. And to throw that too, I don't think Sean Schamberger, for example, Jesse, I don't think he took hard coaching very well last year. I, I, I don't think I don't think you I don't think that that's something he was mature enough to handle. So when so when somebody was riding him hard, I think his answer was a shutdown deal, and not necessarily. He took how the message was delivered, not necessarily the message itself. I think the maturity factor is he and Nigel and some of these guys are accepting the message, not how it's delivered, and you're seeing some, and, some improvement and with those gets, guys. And, and this goes 
to how Rick Barnes does does business. I th and what I think you'll see from this staff is I think you'll see them weed those guys out in the recruiting process in the future. They'll they'll know before guys get on campus if they can take hard coaching, the kind of guys that they want. And I think you'll see that part, that part get better and better. Well, and I think those recruits coming in will have a better understanding of what they're getting into because they'll be sure. talked about on the business. Whereas this is what Schamberger, he inherited. I mean, this guy, I'm here and this is the guy I get. This is not what I signed up for. Yeah. Even though Alabama recruited him, he may not have gone there because he didn't want that style of coaching, so to speak. You right. know? And yeah. so I think that's a good point. A couple other just quick things for, for folks that didn't read the piece, but I, I encourage you to, that thought stood out. Just quick hitters. It doesn't surprise us, but when you just see the numbers, Jawan Jennings leads all SEC wide receivers, including the studs at LSU and Alabama, in terms of avoided tacklers. I mean, he's just impossible to get on the ground. Um, and he ranks just as impressively, actually checks in ahead of a couple of those Alabama guys as the number three overall wideout in the SEC. Tennessee's inability to generate explosive plays on the ground Ty Chandler's really been the only one. The fact that Garantano and Maurer have almost as many runs over 10 yards, they have three apiece, as Tim Jordan and Eric Gray kind of speak to the lack of explosiveness uh, from the tailback position. Um, and then the other one, you know, J.G. still has not been a great play-action passer, which has kind of been weird because that was such a strength for him a year ago. But part of his issues early in the season, whether it was red zone, whatever, those touch, those interceptions and tip passes – so many of those came between the numbers in the middle of the field. He was really struggling there. Had four turnovers in that, that respect. Multiple batted passes. He has just one batted, batted pass since, since the bye week, the first bye week. So we've had five the first four games, one since. And his completion percentage has jumped up almost 10 points on throws between the numbers. And that's really helped his success. All right, last football card, good stuff. And if anybody hasn't read it, jump on the General's Quarters and read it. Um, it, it's, it's worth your time. It's an interesting look at this team, where they are by week one to by week two. Last football question before we jump into uh, basketball and recruiting. Um, who are, I'm going to give you three guys, and you tell me which one's the biggest surprise to you in terms of what they've done for this team and, and how they played. Kenneth George Jr., for an offensive guy, I'm going to say Austin Pope, and defensively, Kevon Bennett. Which one of those three is the biggest surprise to you? Kevon Bennett. I was going to say, I would say Bennett, too. You think Bennett's the biggest surprise on this team in terms of a guy, not that he's been dominating, but a guy who's just kind of come out of nowhere, moved positions, different guy. Well, he, he's, been a, he's, a, he's been a great brother-in-law to have because, I mean, when DT's not, you know, necessarily been there on a player or two, Kevon Bennett's been the guy that stepped up and made the, made the plays. Yeah, but I mean, that's a guy we didn't even know if you were going to get on the field. Yeah. yeah. The I mean, same, with, same with Kenneth George Jr. too, by the way. Yeah, I, kinda, I almost want to lean there because of the storyline entering the season. Now it changed a little bit because of Bryce's situation and subsequent suspension. But so many people were, you know, they, Tennessee's penciled in. They got Alante and, and, and Bronson. And they're, right. they're, they're locked in. And yet Kenneth George has been just as good as both of them all season. And, and, and as a guy who I think still doesn't even, hasn't grasped his full potential. He's a big corner. Um, he's just learning and, how to play and football. And he's learning how to play football. Didn't really play in high school, you know, you know Took a chance to go junior he's college. Got, he's kind of a guy, you know. It, he's kind of a guy though that, and, and Pruitt and some of them, if you kind of talk to them, they would probably say that he's almost the perfect type of guy for what they want to do in the sense that he doesn't, he didn't come in with any bad fundamentals. Right. He was, he was just raw, silly putty, and they were able to say, "Hey, you're a fantastic athlete. We're going to teach you how to play football and teach you how to do it." He obviously got a year in the system last year. Didn't play a lot. Got his feet wet. 
Uh, but he's got long arms. I mean, he it's all you know. He some of these guys come in with bad habits that they yeah. got to break. He didn't have any of that because he hadn't ever played. I, I mean, I'm with you there, but I'm also with Rob on Kevon Bennett because that's. I mean, I never thought Kevon. I didn't. I didn't know if Kevon Bennett was I talented thought, enough to play. In I the thought SEC. I, I, would, I didn't think he would be here this year. Yeah, after last year. I think I, mean, I, I just didn't think he fit. Right. I you know, think they're really all three really good stories. Yeah. I mean, Austin Pope even. I mean, a guy that couldn't even lift the le- his leg up a year ago at this time has the back surgery last December. You know, he's, he's, totally play, he's playing a, a role that nobody likes, but he's just grind. You know, he's been really, really important for them both in pass and protection. And he can come back, right? And in and in the right game. Yeah. So I mean, like, I mean, he could be a nice piece next year. Yeah, certainly. Uh, th- three good stories on this team for all. And look, Juwan Jennings is a great story, but those are three names nobody's talked about because they haven't been out much in the media and they play thankless, maybe thankless roles in terms of Pope and some of that stuff. I think it's looking at the numbers. I think those three guys were. We're in there where you just kind of like, oh, okay, you know, that those guys have been pretty solid, better than even, I guess, I thought when you look at what they've been able to do the last four or five weeks. All right, let's go to hoops. Let's get to hoops right quick, Rob, and then we'll circle back to recruiting. Um, this Tennessee basketball team, they don't have size. They've lost all this stuff. Lamonte Turner can't make a shot, yet they go on the road. Uh, they go, you know, they, they travel halfway around the country um, to go to Canada to take on uh, Washington and play their best basketball game. How surprised were you at what Tennessee got done on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I guess maybe on one hand, a little bit surprised at how easy it was. But I wasn't surprised that they showed up and played. I mean, not with the you know the, the veteran guards, not with you know Rick's system, but uh, the the way they were so efficient in the first half. I tell you what, what it really highlighted to me was what a mature team can do to a team that's relying on, I don't care how talented they are, but superstar freshmen playing in their, in their third college basketball game. Now, Which is a reminder to everybody for what's coming next year, yeah. but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those two kids are, I mean, they'll probably, I mean, top 10 draft picks probably, Stewart and, and McDaniels, and Tennessee just, you know, just, just cut them up. What, what impressed me the most was how, and, and what I, I mean, this, this speaks to coaching, this speaks to the, to the players, the, the, you know, the maturity that they approach the game with. You could tell in that first half that they had an offensive game plan and they knew how to execute it. I mean, they just cut up Washington's 2-3 zone. I mean, just sliced it to pieces. Got it, to the, got it into the middle at the foul line, either collapsed it or had you know, Pons or Bowden just turn around and make uncontested 12-foot jumpers for 20 minutes. And Washington just, I mean, it, it got so bad that Mike Hopkins came out of the zone, played man-to-man for like the last four minutes of the half, which, you know, I, I don't, and, and they weren't much better there. So just... I thought it was a great example of what senior guards can do for you. Now, Lamonte couldn't buy a shot, and, and he turned the ball over too much, but he still, you know, he had, he had seven more assists. He led the team with seven rebounds. That shows you how tough he is. And Jordan Bowden was spectacular in the first half, especially. 15 points, I think three of five from three. And I, I just, I'm stunned at Pons. Stunned. Well, how can you not be? A couple of things before we get to Pons. One, I don't know why you would ever zone a Rick Barnes offense, because everybody that's tried to zone him, I don't know that the zone has beaten Tennessee or given Tennessee problems since Barnes has been here. A, you know, a team that's rooted in zone. And, and two, part of the reason why they carved the zone up, the ball never got stuck in anybody's hand. Their ball movement was was really, really good uh, all the way around the floor. And then back to Ponds, there's no way Rick Barnes and his staff thought that was coming for, for three games. That, look, I get it. He's improved. All this other stuff, but there's no way anybody saw this coming. No, did I don't. They? I don't think. I mean, I, I, I th- everybody was telling me he was going to be better. He's going to be better. Yeah, but but I, still, like I still thought he would be an offensive liability. 
but instead he, he's shooting 70, over 70% through, through three games. He scored 15, 19, and 15 points. And he's not taking bad shots. Not at I all. Mean, and he's, he's playing he's, well within the, the framework of the offense. He's confident. He's smooth. And I, I mean, I think the, the move of him down into the, to the, to the low block, to the, to the power, power forward spot, is, is really unlocked you know, some potential in this team that I, I was not sure that they had. All right, so let me ask you this. Much the same way we talked about Nigel, how does a guy like Eves, who clearly was not playing with any confidence, you know, in in the latter part of last year, how does he go from that guy to this guy? I mean, I, first off, you, get, you gotta give him credit. I mean, you talk to Rick or assistant coaches or anybody on the team, and they'll talk about just how much time Pons puts in the gym. Just working, 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 but also, you know, you gotta give credit to this coaching staff. I mean, how much have we seen it? I mean, Grant Williams comes in as a, chubby six foot six 255 pound freshman and leaves as you know a first round NBA draft pick and two-time SEC player of the year same story for Admiral Schofield I mean Jordan Bone you know could, didn't have any concept of how to play point guard when he was a freshman Kyle Alexander you know was, was the the very definition of a big man project guy and they you know they turned those guys into the core of the team that won 31 games so I mean, you just, again, you got to give Eves credit because I mean, the co- having coaches that know how to develop kids is one thing, but you've got to have kids that will take that coaching. And I mean, and he's a phenomenal athlete. I mean, I was talking with somebody today; he may be the best athlete I've seen come through this program. I mean, just raw athlete, running, jumping, strength that I've seen come through there in, you know, I guess almost 20 years now. So he's got some tools to work with. But man, I mean, the kid has worked his tail off, and I think last year. He just hit a rough patch and his confidence just plummeted. Started shooting way too many threes. And he he, he was playing to Play, not, away from the basket and not to mess up. You know he was fra- he was a, he wasn't being. I mean that's and Rick will say this all the time. Like this is the one thing you can't be for me is tentative. And East was tentative. I mean he was just afraid to, he was afraid to screw up. He's afraid to let guys down. And I just I mean the confidence is, is just at a whole different level. Don't year. you think it helps the confidence and not being tentative when you know this year you know. He knows he's got to play well. A year ago, though, you know, he was not—he was tentative to let Grant down, Admiral down, Kyle down. Those guys aren't here, and I, I get you could say you're tentative to let Jordan or Lamonte down, but it's different. I mean, like, I, he, I think he knows, Fulky knows, they don't play supportive roles anymore. They're—they're—they're they're, they're the main guys well, I down think low. They're ready for it. I mean, it's been a nice natural progression for for those kids. I mean, they've been—they had the chance to sit back for two or three years and. You know, like last year, I mean, Eves knew if he screwed up, Jordan Bowden was going to come in. And, you know, probably in Tennessee would probably be okay. And and, know, and he and if Eves screwed up bad enough, Jordan was coming in and Eves might not get back off not, the bench. Be, yeah. But but he's going I mean, he's he's going to be able to make a mistake and either stay on the floor or he's going to get back on he, the floor. And he's ready for it. Yeah. I mean, that is, I mean, again, you, you guys know, I mean, I'm not saying Tennessee's going to win the SEC championship, but I also from the start have been saying they're not they're not as bad as, they're not going to be as bad as people think they're going to be. And what, I mean, how they looked on Saturday is why. I mean, they just, they know how to play the game. They're smart. They're very, very tough. Well, especially that. And I it mean, helps that the SEC is not very good. Well, I was going to say, they, they, <laughs> to this they, point, they, they not play together. Good. They right. play together and kind of have this, even though they, they're in Josiah and some new guys. Whereas you see a team like Florida that, that has all this talent, allegedly. And I mean, they can't hit a shot anyways, but that, that, they play with no pace. They play with no rhythm. I mean, they, they have gotten off to it's a like very they, It's like they have no feel for each no. other on Chemistry the floor. Chemistry matters more in basketball than any other sport. And offensive line, I think, is a close second. Yeah. It's a small sample size. You're three games in. But I think if they can continue to what they're doing right now, it's, it's, it's phenomenal for the, to me the growth of Josiah James. Because, you know, the guy comes in. He's got all that expectation. He's a five-star and all this and that. 
but he's playing a role where you know he you know doesn't shoot it that much you know on a nightly basis does little other little things assists steals rebounds yeah, he was good on saturday yeah yeah correct nine points and and he's, and, and, and didn't miss a shot yeah he's, four four filtered in my point though is is when you've got 14 from from Folky, 15 from ponds 16 from you know lamonte and 18 from jordan it allows a guy that was probably coming in with a little bit of pressure on him to just kind of ease it. It's like instead of jumping right into the deep end, you get in at the steps. Well, and I think he's, I mean, he's, I don't think anybody thought he was going to come in and average 20 points. It's not his game, but his feel for his teammates and his feel for the game, it looks to me like, Rob, the game's slowing down. It was, a, I mean, he was so much better on Saturday. He looked so much more confident. Just, he had five assists. Again, didn't miss a shot, didn't take a bad shot, made his only three-pointer. Um, and I, I also think playing on the same floor with Stewart and McDaniels, two other like big time guys that he has played with at every, you know, big shoe camp and USA basketball event for the last three years. Got him going a little bit. Yeah, I think that you know, I think that got him going a little bit. How, well. how worried as we wrap up as well, how concerned is Liz Lamonte's shoulder in the shot right well, now? I mean I think it's gotta be a little bit of a concern, but man, I mean we, we kind of saw the same thing last year. I mean, eventually, you know, he, he shot himself out of it. I, I mean, I, I think he's pressing a little bit with his shot. I mean, I think he's he's like that. But um, and it's it's an issue. I mean, Rick's. I mean, if Rick's talking about it, it's it's an issue. I mean, because he. I mean, he's not going to make excuses for kids that, that are empty. You know, like some coaches want to protect a player right. who's not playing well by mentioning some fan of injury. I mean, I think it's it, it's bothering him. He said he missed a lot of time in the summer because of it, and um, I think. Very clearly, I mean, he was three of twelve again on Saturday. He's uh, he doesn't doesn't look like he's right to me, but he's still he's running the show and playing well. And one other thing I wanted to mention real quick, I think Rick Rick has got the develops. He's got to learn to trust his bench more. He's played seven players in that game against Washington. There's gonna be some nights where you can't do. I mean, Devonte Gaines has got to give him something. Pember's got to be able to give him something. And so that that to me is the one the one spot where where you're, you're a little concerned right now is that they've got to find one or two more guys who can, who can give them something. We'll see if they find some of those guys this week as they uh, continue their preseason action and continue to, to move forward. We'll see how much they grow and develop uh, over the course of the next few weeks as well. All right, let's get to recruiting here. Uh, off week, Tennessee was on the road at the end of the week, seeing a lot of guys, Austin. Uh, you got an away game this week, so you don't have visitors. What's the, what's the top three or four things of note in recruiting other than Tennessee's offering seventh and eighth graders and ninth graders. I mean, a lot of offers are going out there, but in terms of 2021, what, what, what's, what's to note? The, the, I guess the kid from Nevada uh, that's, commi that's committed to Nevada is, is probably the biggest thing brewing right now? Uh, yeah, I mean, for next weekend, I mean, Tennessee's hoping to get a handful of guys in. Um, I don't think Joel Williams is going to come in anymore. Um, I think that ship is, you know, I think sailed. I don't even. I think it's sailed more on Tennessee's part. Um, uh, but you know, I, you're right. I mean, I think you know, Kehoe's uh, or Kehoe, however you pronounce it, the the kid out of Nevada. Um, you know, his brother played at Alabama and was recruited was recruited by Niedermeyer and Pruitt down there. Um, you know, that they like him a lot. And uh, do you think he's moved up ahead of some other guys on the board? I do. Okay. I okay. do think that he's moved up ahead of other guys at, at that similar position. Um, you know, Lenneth Whitehead, you know, and, you know, and talking to some people and talking to Chad, who obviously has had, you know, you know, the talks with Lenneth. I think Tennessee's going to have a real shot to, 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 you know, get him in the end. Um, just because, I mean, the kid, again, went to South Carolina. 
and it was all defensive coaches that talked to him. The kid clearly wants to play running back. And at this point, I think Tennessee's willing to give him every shot to play running back. I mean, you, you highlighted it earlier in the podcast, you know, their you know, inability to you know, make you know, big plays on the ground. And, you know, they need somebody that can, that can you know, lean forward and get the tough yards, but can also, you know, make a big enough play and, and, and be just a, a, a really solid contributor at that position. And, uh, you know, we all know Jeremy likes bigger backs. So um, outside of that, you know, Tennessee, you know, remains in a good spot for Omari Thomas. I think they're in a really good spot for Octavius Oxendine. And uh, Tyler Barron, who will not do anything until December 18th, you know, uh, I still love where Tennessee's at there. What else going on? Well, they are hosting a couple of those other those guys committed elsewhere next weekend, too, not yeah. just the uh, Nevada kid. Does Tennessee continue to push some stuff on the outside linebackers? spot guys that they hosted this summer uh that kind of yeah maureen joseph or morvin joseph florida state commit he's gonna he's gonna visit a lot of places you know he's a former uf commit then flipped he's gonna officially visit florida too in december he'll be here next weekend uh banks the mississippi state commit um he's from uh he knows some of these uh memphis kids because he's right on that border oak ridge or uh, where, where is it in like Olive Branch. Olive Branch, excuse me. Yeah, right there, Olive Branch. Uh, so he'll be here this weekend or next weekend too. So just kind of a couple of the guys that – and, again, we're going to get down to the, 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 the nitty-gritty here about, you know, spots. Tennessee's going to have to have prioritized spots and what need kind of trumps something else, especially when you're talking about, you know, they like Whitehead and they want to run him back. What do they do at inside linebacker? AP listed the, the trio of defensive linemen they want. You add those up, and you can get to twenty five pretty quickly. Well, and, and you're not going to turn that. You're not going to turn a defensive lineman away. No, and that's why I mean, like you know, as tight as the spots are, if Tennessee can land Oxendine O, Tyler Barron, and then Jay Hardy wants back in, and they're going to continue to swing there. I, I, I do think that that one's going to get tough to, to flip him back, um, but I do think Tennessee's going to, you know, they're going to go down swinging. You know, they're not going <laughs> to – there's not going to be any rollover in that deal. Every time and, Derek Brown makes a play for Auburn, though, it's probably a little bit harder because that guy's going to get paid for, for them. But, you're, but they're, they're going to swing. His relationship with Rodney Garner will be hard to overcome. Yeah. I, I think clearly uh, there, there's no question and, and no disputing that with where, where, where that situation well, And then it's what they right do. Now. I mean, they're, they're obviously not going to turn down a Darnell Washington naturally. But there is a – if he's – you know, it, it – there's going to be some gymnastics that happen here with, with, with everything just because they want another playmaker in this class. I, I you have to wait for Darnell. Where does Jim, what happens with a guy like Jimmy Holiday? You, you said it last week on the pod. You know, Jones Bell is likely to stick with Alabama, but you're going to get him on campus again. Yeah. So. I, and, again, I, I do think that the, the fact that you have D'Angelo Gibbs on this team and he's and, you know, had, you know, you know, really given the defense a, a fit running the scout team all year – honestly gives you a little bit of wiggle room when it comes to you don't have to take another wide receiver. If you feel like Romel's going to continue to develop, you know you got Palmer back, you got Brandon Johnson coming off a red shirt, D'Angelo, you know, Gerard Means, and then, of course, you've got Hyatt. And you, and, know, and you got Holiday there at this Darian, point in time. Darian Williamson, you mean? No. Oh, wide receiver. Callaway. 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 That's why I was My bad. Um, and they may have to. They're gonna have to hold on to him. But yeah, right. Right now, yeah, I mean that's another, so, that's so, another great find early. Right, but you guys. made your, your point is is 
it may be Thayu Jones Bell or nobody. Yeah, yeah, at correct. The receiver position. Yeah, you not know? not just take one to take one. Right. I got you. I got you. Numbers will be um, a challenge as they are every year. They always work themselves out, as we say. But uh, <laughs> there, there will be a bit of a challenge and, and some decisions. Who would have thought made. they would be a challenge of six weeks ago? Well. You sit right here in, in, at this table we're sitting at, and you pounded the table pretty good. Said Tennessee's got to win. They've got to win to hold the class. If they win, it'll get it, it'll get it'll, things back moving, and it has. And yeah. that's what's happened with Tennessee. Are they where they were in the summer in terms of some of the big name guys? No, no. But you know what? Noah Sewell was going to be hard to get back in the summer. They had some momentum in the summer, but getting him was going to be really, really hard. But you know what? If Tennessee had won those first two games and they were sitting here with the potential to go 9-3, and three, I do think they would be a lot more heavily involved. Yeah, they probably got him back on campus. Yeah. It would have, could have been a factor there. But it was still – I don't know that they would have gotten him. But but it did if change the, right. I mean, it it changed the landscape. But because they've won, it's got them back on track, to, as Jesse pointed out in the Mailbag podcast last week, to put themselves in a position and, to be a, a class that's 10 to 15th you know, nationally. And, and of course, Jeremy was at Marietta last Friday – Tennessee's not going to go down, you know, they're going to go down swinging trying to get B.J. Ojolari back in this class. I mean, you know, they're, it, it you know, maybe a pipe dream, but I mean, they're going to continue to swing there and see if, you know, see if they can connect. Yeah, they're going to make everybody work to the finish line. That's, that's what they'll do because they're going to, with those guys they've been deeply invested yeah. in, they're going to continue, the, the Hardys and the B.J.'s and those guys, they're not just going to roll over and be done between now and December uh, 18th on that signing day. So, uh, recruiting, getting ready to get cranked back up. Um, there'll be plenty of other things going on in the world of college football, but there's obviously a big one for Tennessee this weekend, a chance to get bowl eligible at Missouri. We'll talk more about the Tigers in our Friday podcast, talk more Tennessee basketball, talk some more recruiting with you as well. That's coming up in our Friday edition of the VolQuest.com podcast. But that's going to do it for this podcast. For Jesse, Austin, and Rob, I'm Brent Hubbs. Thanks for joining us. Have a great rest of your Tuesday, everybody.